story in the Washington Post recently that was very relevant to a Canadian audience because it concerned our prime minister. Leaked Pentagon documents uh, suggest that Canada's prime minister has informed NATO allies that Canada has no intention and likely never will meet its NATO defense spending commitments. Members of NATO agreed collectively to spend 2% of GDP on defense as a way of ensuring that, that no NATO partner is freeloading off the others. It's supposed to be a defense alliance. And having other countries agreeing to come to your defense could potentially be a disincentive when it comes to building up your own armed forces. Hence that commitment. Canada's at only about 1.2%. And really, you could go back, uh, not just over the, the years of the Trudeau government, going back uh, over previous governments as well. We've never really strayed far from that. So we've long been falling short of those commitments. Now, publicly, the Trudeau government hasn't confirmed those reports, but, you know, actions speak louder than words. Defense has not been a priority of this government. And so it continues to be, unfortunately, neglect as a policy when it comes to giving the Canadian Armed Forces what it needs. Ensuring that it can do their job in protecting Canadians and also ensuring uh, that we can stand shoulder to shoulder with our allies, that we're not a freeloader, that we're seen as a dependable ally. I think there's cause for concern here. Certainly something our next guest has been noticing. Uh, gave a big speech on these issues a few months ago. Wrote a really interesting op-ed you can find in today's National Post, nationalpost.com. Uh, joining us is the author of that piece. Uh, retired Lieutenant General Michel Maisonou spent 35 years in the Canadian Armed Forces, testified in The Hague against Slobodan Milosevic, served as the first chief of staff of NATO's Supreme Allied Command, Transformation, was named the 30th Annual Laureate of the Vimy Award in 2002. So a very distinguished career in the Canadian Armed Forces. Lieutenant General, great to have you with us here today. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Rob. Nice to be with you. We appreciate you making some time for us and... Yeah, I mean, as I say, this is something you've witnessed over the years. You've spoken about this. You've written about this. Did that Washington Post article really come as any surprise to you? No, not really. And unfortunately, it comes on, you know, after a number of other kind of, you know, warnings that have been, uh, you know, of course, I spoke about it in November but there have been others who've talked about, uh, you know, the fact that Canada is just not prioritizing its its uh, Canadian forces and its military and, and defense. So, so this is kind of this is not surprising. And if it really uh, was said, it, it's it's uh, it's incredibly uh, bad news. Right, and it's not something the Canadians see firsthand. Canadians don't really have a good handle on the state of the armed forces or what this neglect is causing. What, what are the consequences, or what have the consequences been of this kind of an approach? Well, I, I think you're right. Canadians don't really worry about defense or their military until there's a crisis. I mean, right. frankly, uh, when you look at there's there's forest fires or there's uh, floods in, in Quebec or uh, or an emergency, uh, an international emergency, then they think about defense and what can we send and what can we use and, and we need the military to deploy and even during COVID, as you saw. So that's the sad part about about Canadian society and I, I think it's something that, you know, and it's never talked about in elections. No party has ever asked what their policy is on on defense and whether they intend to make the Canadian forces more operational, et cetera, et cetera. So, 
So it, it just is not in the Canadian uh, way of doing business. I mean, one of my old uh, mentors and uh, professors said that, you know, Canadians are, you know, Canadian history is a, uh, the military history of an unmilitary people. And, yeah. and unfortunately, that is that is the case. What about our international standing? I mean, being a member of NATO, NORAD, I mean, our, our partnerships are, are incredibly valuable to Canada. But if we're not seen as a dependable partner, what might the consequences of that be? Well, you're absolutely right, Rob. So, so you've got, you know, you've got the defense piece for our own use, ourselves, Canada, and how do we defend ourselves if there's an emergency? Can we stand on our own two feet and defend our country? Uh, can we go to the north and, uh, you know, ki- you know, destroy a, a balloon? My goodness, you know, uh, we have two bases uh, for fighters, one in Edmonton, the other in Bagotville, and you know, that's you know, thousands of kilometers away from from the north. I mean. We can't even do that. So that's one aspect, our own defense. The second piece, of course, is are we able to participate to to project our values internationally? And right now we can't. And, are, of course, being member, members of alliances, whether you're talking about NORAD, whether you're talking about NATO, you know, something we need to be good partners and we need to, need to be able to, to pull our weight and when we're asked, uh, to, to go to Haiti or to, to go into, uh, into Latvia uh, to, to head the, uh, the brigade group there. We need to be able to do that. And right now, we're unable to do it. The chief of defense staff, General Ayer himself, said, look, we're, we're, right now we're not able to take on any new missions. We are, um, we are in a reconstitutional mode. So we're trying to reconstitute the Canadian force. It's going to take a decade at least to bring the forces back to operational capability and meanwhile the government puts out a new indo-pacific uh strategy which needs to be implemented some way so you know he can't take on new missions but the the government's not thinking about that they're just saying okay we have a new strategy and we're going to need military forces to look have to implement those strategies so it's that's the that is the huge um uh, impact of of the uh the lack of operational capability of our of our military Right. I mean, you know, in terms of that international standing, something you note in your piece, uh, we, we recently saw this new security uh, agreement or this this partnership between the U.S., the U.K., and Australia mm-hmm. that very clearly left Canada on the sidelines. That that was a bit of a warning, wasn't it, about how things are, are starting to, to uh, unfold? Well, you're right. And, and you know, what, what I saw about that, I mean, this is, you know, in 1987, the White Paper said, we're going to buy 10 to 12 uh, nuclear submarines. Now, what perfect, you know, weapon or what perfect uh, capability is that to go under the ice in our north if we want to say it's Canadian and to, uh, to, uh, to exercise our sovereignty, you need to be able to go up there. Right now we have nothing that can go up there except airplanes and, um, you know, uh, unarmed, un- unmanned surveillance. So, you know, the, the AUKUS uh, agreement, which is what you're talking about between Australia, the UK, and the U.S., they went ahead and did that, and, and it included in there that Australia was going to get nuclear submarines to be able to protect itself and, and uh, you know, project its values and defend itself against probably a Chinese menace. So, you know, they, Canada was left out. Now, the, the, uh, the leaks from the Pentagon documents came out after that, but what if the Pentagon at the time, the U.S. at the time, was aware that, you know, the PM had made this, if he really did that, made that declaration that we'd never meet 2%, you know, kind of kind of saying, well, forget it. We're never going to meet that. So stop bugging us. And 
So, you know, would that have influenced the U.S. in saying, well, we're not going to even ask them to be part of this? But it would have made sense to me, you know, as a Pacific nation that Canada is and as one that needs nuclear subs. And, it, you know, if they can trust the, uh, the Australians with, with nuclear capability or nuclear uh, technology, I mean, here we are. We're, we're one of the, their greatest allies, you know, through history. And we fought alongside and we, you know, even in Afghanistan. So the U.S. So why wouldn't they trust us? So, you know, it's, it's possible to draw a link between you know, the, the statement of we're never going to meet the 2% and the fact that we're not in AUKUS. Yeah, and, and we can't fix this overnight, I, I, right? I mean, I think it starts with at least the determination, start to move things in the right direction, start to invest. But, you know, we're well behind. And on top of that, even if we have the financial commitment, you know, the political will, you know, our procurement is, is such a mess too. I mean, that, that's, that's got to be, be fixed. This is not an easy task ahead of us. No, absolutely. And of course, as I said in my piece, it's not just, you know, financial support, it's moral support as well. You know, just uh, the government starting to pay attention and, and make make service to our country something that is 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 prized and something that should be should be, uh, you know, encouraged and, uh, you know, serving your country, being in the military. Uh, it's a fantastic career and it's, you know, it gives you a chance to do something that takes you beyond yourself. And, and you know, and so you know, I've always said there's a moral contract between Canadian society and the military. The military accepts to do those jobs that, you know, we ask them to do difficult ones, whether domestically with floods and forest fires or internationally in Afghanistan and other places. And on the other side of the contract, then, you know, since they accept to do that, we should say as Canadian society and the, and the government, we should give them all the tools they need to do that, you know, train them the best we can, give them the best equipment we can, uh, give them the education they need, you know, and and uh, pay them properly and so on, and take care of them after they come back from these things, after they're veterans. And I could talk about veterans as well. So, you know, we're not doing that right now. And yes, you're right, the procurement system is broken. So it's not just giving extra, you know, more money. There's definitely needs more money, and it's going to be very expensive. However, you know, you look at how much we paid for COVID, you know, uh, uh, people getting served and, and all that stuff, you know, I, it was a requirement. The government did it. I think we could do it as well. We are a G7 nation, incredible uh, GDP. So let's, you know, let's give more money to the military, but also, you know, fix the procurement system, fix the recruiting system, and, and let's get ourselves, uh, you know, where we should be as a, as a G7 nation. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned your op-ed. It's uh, up today at uh, nationalpost.com. Appreciate your insight on all of this and, and certainly appreciate your, your service to this country as well. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Rob, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank all you. best, sir. Uh, there you go. That's uh, retired Lieutenant General uh, Michel Maisonneuve. As mentioned, spent 35 years in the Canadian Armed Forces and uh, played some pretty important roles uh, for Canada, testifying in The Hague against Slobodan Milosevic. Serving as the first chief of staff of NATO Supreme Allied Command transfer, uh, Transformation in Norfolk, Virginia. So someone who cares deeply about these issues and, and has a lot of expertise on, you know, the state of affairs, which is not a pretty picture, unfortunately.